0: The title of the message is, you have to shake it off and keep moving forward. Acts chapter 28, verse 1 down to verse 6. Now, here's the thing. I actually want us to focus in upon this little snapshot in this passage from verse 1 down to verse 6, beginning in verse 3, because I just want us to get this picture that we're going to uh, underscore numerous times. Paul, at this time, it says in verse 3, had gathered a bundle of sticks, laid them on the fire, right? And a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Look at verse five, key to this passage. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Why do I want to begin this way? We're going to look at verse 1 down to verse 6 because I just want to introduce this picture, and that is a picture of Paul being bit by a snake. How many of you like snakes out of curiosity? you raise your hand? That's a rhetorical question. No one raised their hand. Okay, so here's the thing. No, a few of you. All right, let me just say something. In life, okay, we're all going to get bit. That's just the reality. I mean, this picture of Paul being bit physically Is a metaphor, it's an illustration of the reality that we're all going to face opposition. We're all going to be bit. Like, what are you talking about? Like, bit by discouragement, bit by resentment, bit by fear, bit by isolation or guilt, failure, stress, disappointment, bit by uh, confusion or lack of faith. That is just part of life. Jesus said, you know, you're going to have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The reality is being bit in this way, like with disappointment or fear or failure or guilt or isolation, man, it's bad. And it can be a bummer, okay? But like the Apostle Paul, we have to learn to shake it off. Sometimes not shaking off the bite is worse than the bite itself. So the question I have for you is, what does the Lord want you to shake off? What does He want you to shake off and instead lay hold of His promises, what it really is reality, and move forward in His will and the growth He has for you? Now, we're going to come back to that, okay? Well, look, we're committed to studying the Bible here. So what's the context? Acts chapter 28 actually identifies the aftermath of 276 passengers, which includes the Apostle Paul. Okay, one of the great believers and evangelists and missionaries uh, 2,000 years ago, who wasn't always a Christian, a follower of Jesus, had a great conversion, became a follower of Jesus, and the Lord used him in a great way. We're going to talk about it. But this is in the aftermath of a shipwreck. And uh, of 276 individuals, now they are safe on the island of Malta. Malta means refuge. Uh, Malta is an island of... S- 17 miles wide. It's 60 miles south of Sicily. And actually, where they are presently is called today Paul's Bay because of this story. So if we pick it up in verse 1, check it out. It says, when they had escaped, like escaped what? Well, the storm. I mean, there's been a shipwreck. Okay, then they found out that the island was called Malta or refuge, no doubt there are a lot of other shipwrecks that found refuge there on this particular island. Now check this out, you guys. Why, um, uh, you know, what's the backstory? Where is this boat headed? Oh, this boat is headed actually to Rome. And for many years, the apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome. Oh man, if, if you could like preach the gospel in Rome, I mean, you're, you are impacting the city that is the epicenter of the Roman Empire. It doesn't get bigger than Rome. Well, Jerusalem is really bigger uh, through our lens, but uh, humanly speaking, secularly speaking, it doesn't get bigger than Rome. And for many years, Paul wanted to go to Rome. In fact, he's already written a letter or a book to the Romans. There was a small band of followers there. And just check this out. He has the chutzpah at the beginning of this book to identify Jesus, listen, as his son, Jesus Messiah, the Lord, born of the seed of David, declared to be the son of God with power. That may not hit you between the eyes, but you gotta understand something. Paul is writing to the epicenter of the Roman Empire, and the Romans actually esteemed the emperor of Rome as the son of God. They, They saw the emperor as a god, the son of Caesar, right? So for Paul to say, look, let me tell you about the Son. I mean, the true. I mean, we're talking God in human form. And he went on to say, look, uh, he has been declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. There's a big implication there. I mean, Paul is basically saying, you follow the, the Emperor, the, the King uh, of, of, of the Roman Empire. And, you know, it can be good, it can be bad, it can be ugly, but it's God's will, actually, that you have as the chief priority and allegiance in your life, the king, okay? Because if you don't get the king right, it's going to throw everything off in your life. It's like if you don't get the vertical aspect of your life right, it throws everything off on the horizontal level. He has the chutzpah to sit there and write to the Romans, let me tell you about the Son. And of course, through a biblical lens, the son is the Davidic king. And he goes on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. It's like the message of who Jesus is. What do you accomplish past, present, and future? Not a greater power. Nothing is gonna stop the will of God in the Son. Hey, can I hear a big amen to that, right? And he goes, and this is for everyone, big, small, black, white. It's for everyone, for the Jew first, and also for the non-Jew. Now watch, if you had asked Paul, hey, Paul, you know, I know you want to go to Rome. You wrote a letter. You've been wanting to go. You've been praying about it. But um, listen, you're going to go to Rome one day. Okay, but I going to you. okay, there's good news and bad news. And Paul might say, give me the good news. Good news is, you're going to stand before the emperor himself. I mean, you know, like when the Lord called you, Paul, remember, you know, on the Damascus Road, and he said, you're going to be a witness of me to the kings. Hey, listen, man, you're going to stand before the emperor himself. You're going to be able to give the gospel. You're going to challenge him about the true son of God and the true king and what right allegiance is. And he might I'm just you know paraphrasing this and making it up, but it was like Paul's like yeah, sounds great. The bad news is Paul, you're going to be a prisoner at the time. You're, you're going to actually be in chains. You're going to and the backstory is Paul has been snake bitten uh, by a false accusation against him years prior in Jerusalem, and he shook it off. It was a false accusation that he brought a non Jew in the Jewish court in the temple, which was worthy of death. And it was, it was fake news, like the fake news of all fake newses. He shook it off. And you know he's a Jew and committed to the Lord God of Israel. He's also a Roman citizen, and he makes an appeal to Caesar. I'm not going to get justice here in Jerusalem, and I want to bring my case, why I'm a follower of the Son, to the emperor himself. So it's like the Lord used that snake bite for something good that opens up an opportunity for him to stand before the emperor what does all this mean? Hey, Paul is on a divine mission. And here's point number one. You guys, every follower of Jesus is in the plan of God, and I'm talking about his big plan, and on a divine mission. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? No, no, seriously, it's like, not to be grandiose, I'm not exaggerating this at all. Every follower of Jesus Every follower, the son, the king, is in the plan of God, actually. God has a plan, it's unfolding, nothing's going to stop it. And we're on divine mission. But I'm going to ask you, church family, listen, do, do you believe that? I mean, I mean, do you believe that to allow that to sink deeply, as Sarah was saying earlier? I mean, do you see your life that way? Because let me tell you, the key to life is finding out what really matters and then building your life around it. The key to life is finding out what really matters and then building your life around it. Like what matters most? Deep down inside, we want all of our lives to make a difference. We don't want to like spend all my energy and it doesn't have any cumulative impact or influence. Or it's like, you know, I mean, what was my life? What is my life all about? Deep down, it's like God has put that desire in us we have to identify what matters most and then build our life around it let me tell you paul embodies the answer to that question and he's on a divine mission look if paul was up here and i say "Hey, paul just out of curiosity what's your worldview man worldview yeah yeah it's like how do you view past present and future you know is there a god what is your purpose in life what is life all about what matters most I'm convinced he would say, "Well, first of all, um, I in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything was made, you had the eternal, uncreated One who moved everything into existence. Okay, so you have the intangible. From the out of the intangible came everything. And he might even say this because he framed." Hebrews, perhaps, you wrote it, the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, you brought, you know, biochemists up here and, and scientists and things. They would say, look, at the beginning... You had nothing, and from nothing came everything. It's called the Big Bang. And, and I believe in the beginning of the universe, I believe, though, the Lord was behind it. Can I hear another big amen to that, right? But I mean, just watch this. It's very interesting, because the Bible says, God, God spoke the world into existence. And rather than us, like, thinking of it in a Western mind, like we think of a mouth and speaking and stuff, don't ask the meaning of that, because what's coming out of my mouth uh, is is intangible realities. They're just sound waves, but it's influencing you physically down to the cellular level. And, and, and so you have intangible, tangible realities. God, the ultimate uncreated one, creates everything out of nothing. And Paul would say, I believe that. I, I totally believe that. And, and actually, at play now, you have intangible realities impacting physical realities in our life just by words and the meaning of words. He would also say this. He would say, I totally believe in the divine plan God gave Abraham, that through Abraham the entire world is blessed. I believe in the divine plan and promise. It's called the covenant they gave David, that he's going to reveal himself ultimately on earth, justice, righteousness, where it's referring to the Messiah. I believe in this divine guarantee, um, Jeremiah 31, called the New Covenant. And listen, Paul was totally committed. He he was a worshiper of the Lord God of Israel. In his own words, just check this out, this guy we're talking about. He said in Galatians 1.14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, be more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father's. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, he says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, you know, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day, stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So it's like, no, listen, he's like, I totally believe there's a God. I believe there's a plan. I believe there's a mission. I have relationship with them. Totally committed to his revelation. That's what he's saying. And Acts chapter 22, verse 3 says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamil, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are today. Which is another way of saying, look, I'm like, I'm like 20 years old. I am being taught by the greatest scholars of the day, Gamil. We know him by secular works. So here's a Jew. Worshiper of the Lord God of Israel believes in a plan, believes in these divine promises. Are you with me on this? Right, totally committed. I mean, he's like a scholar of scholars. Like we just watched John Adams HBO thing. Have you guys ever seen the John Adams thing? That is a great series. You know, one of our founding fathers. You know, you read some of his journals, and he's at twenty, he's like super disciplined, like reading everything he can get a hold of. It kind of reminds me of Paul. Paul was a very disciplined. He's an intellect. He was groomed by the greatest intellects of the day. But on the other side of it, just real quick, hang in there. Before he was a follower of Jesus, he actually opposed the messianic movement. He was actually, even though he thought he was worshiping the Lord God of Israel, he was opposed to those who were following Jesus, even though it all began as a Jewish movement. And then he said, look, this is the other side of Paul. You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church beyond measure, tried to destroy it. He said another place, Acts twenty-two. I persecuted this way to the death. He said, and check this out. We have it up on the screen. This is a story, a little snapshot of his conversion. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell on the ground. Heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am, can everybody say the next word? Jesus, I love it, whom you're persecuting. Hey, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Oh, there's another stick in Paul's life because a goat is a stick. It's a prod, like you would like manipulate a an animal to get them to move. And it's like, hey, Paul, it's like I've been trying to get your attention. I'm running you down because I love you. And, and that may be the case for some here this morning. It's like the Lord is like prodding you because he like a little stick because he he wants to move you in the right direction. Paul was kicking against it. That's the idea. But Paul is trembling and astonished. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is one of the great turning points in history, his conversion actually. The game changer was for Paul. He became convinced Jesus had resurrected from the dead. Okay, He, he said Christianity, I'll paraphrase it, stands or fall whether Jesus still has a heartbeat or not. I mean, look, the reality is, is no Jew is going to follow Jesus unless they're convinced that he had bodily resurrected. Not like, oh, I think he did. No, convinced, bodily resurrection. Paul became convinced that he's on mission, he's in fully. And the Lord told him, you're going to be a chosen vessel to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And he also said, Paul, you're going to experience opposition. You're going to, you're going to experience suffering for my sake. Look, here's the thing. Look, look, Jesus said to follow him, you got you to pick up a cross. In that culture, picking up a cross, well, is the lowest form of execution in the Roman Empire. I mean, you, you are actually the outcast of society. You are the ultimate minority. And, and, and in context, when Jesus said that to his disciples, he's saying, you guys have to understand, this kingdom that's going to grow and the church that I'm going to build is going to start small. Okay, you're going to be the ultimate minority but you're going to represent the difference that's needed for all of mankind. But in that, you are going to experience pushback. You're you're going to be the odd man out. And it's like, and look, we all should feel that a little bit. We're strangers here. We're pilgrims moving towards the ultimate kingdom of the Lord Jesus on planet earth. Can I hear a big amen to that? So it's like, so, and that's good. Our difference is our strength, okay? So Paul is saying, the Lord is saying to Paul, Paul, I'm going to send you out you're going to like bring the most important message to the entire world. I'm going to give you these killer opportunities, but at the same time, you are going to experience opposition. Don't be surprised by it. Okay. Your difference in the world is what makes the difference. And the reason why you're going to get pushed back is because you live in a broken world. And that's why. So you will at times be the odd man out. Look, Bear with me, you guys, a lot of facts about Paul. We're gonna to get to some application in a moment in about 20 minutes. I <laughs> know, just kidding. Okay, but years after, listen, listen, he's arrested. I just wanted want you to get this. He's arrested eventually in Jerusalem during Pentecost, by the way, which is a couple of weeks ago um, on the calendar. And he appeals to Caesar, okay? And you have the Roman governor, Felix, who is preparing Paul to go before the most powerful man in the world. And we have these scriptures up on the screen. And Paul, I just want you to get Paul's mindset. Paul says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is referring to those who follow Jesus, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. So in other words, hey, uh, we would call him a Christian, but Christianity is not a new religion. No, I mean he's worshiping the Lord God of Israel, the unfolding plan that is taking place—Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. And then before Festus and Herod Agrippa, Paul says this: We have it up on the screen. And now I stand, and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, and to this promise. Our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Okay, so it's, look, we're almost done with this, okay? But Paul is in the context of standing before the emperor. I mean, excuse me, the Roman governor of Judea, as well as King Agrippa. They're preparing him for this case. He's going to get on a boat, okay? That's kind of the kind of... He's going to end up ultimately in Rome. He's going to be able to stand before the emperor himself. And, And he's just saying, hey, look, look, the reason why I'm here is because I'm convinced Jesus is the son, he resurrected from the dead. And why would you think that it would be too hard for God? At the end of this, we don't have time to develop it. At the end of it, you have actually Festus and Herod Agrippa that basically find no fault in Paul whatsoever. He hasn't broken any law. They think if he didn't appeal to Caesar or he just wanna drop the case, he would be let go. But Paul wants to hold on to this. He wants the opportunity to stand before the emperor himself. Are you with me on this? I mean, this is kind of cool stuff, right? So, hey, broader context. Man, Paul is on a divine mission. And when his boat is caught up, in the storm and shipwrecked, it says in verse 2, okay, now we're going to pick up the narrative, go back to verse 2, and it says, The natives showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire, made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Verse 3, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of, can someone tell me the next word? Sticks. Paul, what are you doing? You're some 60 years of age. Oh, you're young old. Um, And you are, and you are actually just on this boat. It's like the prior chapter, Paul is actually, though he is a prisoner, he was actually leading. He actually became the leader on this boat. He gave instruction on how they were to respond to the storm. He gave them promise that if they all listened to him, they would be rescued. And it's like, it's like, and, and what is he doing? Even, I mean, he's, he's actually, well, he's serving. You know, Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Uh, The value, in other words, of of the true society, what society by God's design ought to look like, what life ought to look like, the value systems that we ought to have is that every one of us needs to think less individualistically. We need to think less of me and more of we. And it's like, how can I make a contribution to the whole, to strengthen the church family, to strengthen others, to strengthen the kingdom, to be a part of the work of the Lord. You see, so Paul, that's what Paul is doing. I mean, we live in such an individualistic society, as I mentioned, we might be thinking, hey man, he's 60, he's just like, under his direction, they were rescued. You would think that Paul could just sit back and just go, you guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys pick up the sticks, because everybody's cold and I'm going to sit back and be served, but that's not what he's doing. Hey, what's the value of a few sticks? Of course, the sticks are being used, right, for a fire, right? What's the value of a few sticks? Well, actually, it has a cumulative value in a community. I mean, if, if I, like, pick up just a few and I'm going to start a fire, that's, there's not a whole lot of value in that. But if everyone in this room right? The community, cumulative value. If we all contribute, we all picked up some sticks, right? We have this really big, wonderful fire. Look, here's the application. A follower of Jesus on divine mission picks up sticks to benefit others and the cause of Christ. Because picking up sticks add up. And if everyone picked up a stick... Made a contribution like the fire of the cause would really be fantastic. It's just a principle. Look, a lot of times people think of Christianity as the great escape. It's like, you know, Jesus came, hung blood, gave his life on the cross, and he did. Glory be to God. And he resurrected awesome. And it's like, you know, I asked him to come into my life, forgive me of my sins. And then, you know what? I'm going to heaven. And it's like I may be a part of the generation of the rapture, and I'm out of here. It's the great escape. Um, that is not an accurate way to view actually the mission and the plan of God. That's a part of the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. But Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on, can someone tell me? Earth as it is in heaven. I mean, do we bring this kingdom? Um, well, look, the, there's no kingdom without the king. You know, just think kingdom. You take king out of kingdom, you just have dumb, right? So it's like, you have, there's no kingdom without the king. But the reality is Jesus is the king. And he's at the right hand of the Father right now. And we are citizens of this kingdom. We are ambassadors of this kingdom right now. So what he wants to do in and through our lives is for us all. Listen, listen, don't think like an American because that's not how the Bible is written. That's not how Jesus thought. I mean, think We. Us, community, right? I'll build my church, my assembly, right? I mean, as Paul said, the, the church is like likened to a body and the arm can't say to the leg, I don't need you. We need each other. It's like, it's like I pick up some sticks, you pick up some sticks, we all pick up some sticks. we got this killer fire going on that benefits each other and it benefits the community. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? It's like, what are the sticks and stuff? We're just dealing with the principle of it. But Christianity is not an escape. No, Christianity is like, man, it's like, Lord, hey, in my life, you reign. We're just a king of my heart. It's like, and yeah, it's like, okay, reign in every sphere. Bring your healing, bring your wholeness. And a part of that is that I allow the Lord to work through me. Like your kingdom come is a dangerous prayer in a way because we're stepping off the throne of our lives and submitting to God's agenda of actually restoration and renewal in creation. And the church is actually the community of the king, a glimpse of the life under God's reign. So it's like, okay, Lord, um, your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom come in my family now. Your kingdom come in our church, can I hear a big amen to that? Your kingdom come in our city, in this world. So look, look, I mean, what's the application? Well, the application is someone who's on mission, a Jesus Christ follower in the plan of God, on mission is a servant, recognizes they're a part of the whole. They, and just in principle, we're all picking up some sticks. You know, what's interesting to me? Paul is on his way to speak to the most powerful man in the world. You know, I read all that scripture about his past and he's committed to Judaism, to, to the Tanakh and the Hebrew scriptures and the plan of God and the, uh, the Lord God of Israel because he was. And then the Messiah, he is. And then, but, but he's on an island and he's not in Rome yet. And, and yet Jesus said, look, you're gonna be witnesses of me in, in the, amidst the big kings and all these leaders, but he's not there yet. I mean, what does a man of God, a leader, a Christian, a follower of Jesus look like Well, he's doing what he can to benefit the community. Okay, that's what he does. Look, we raise this issue of, you know, what matters most in life? You want to identify what matters most in life and then build your life around it. And if the Lord Jesus was here and he is here in his presence, he would say the most important thing is his kingdom. It's true. And the kingdom is both now and then. We are citizens of that kingdom now. We are a part of his kingdom now, his church, his body now. So look, I, I, one of the things I just want to say, because we've been in existence for like like 10 months and stuff, and I'm really excited about what the Lord is doing in our church family, and you guys are awesome. Love you. Okay, all right, the little thing, stupid thing. Okay, so let me just say this. You guys, one of the things I just want to encourage all of us to do, because we're kind of in this little bit of a transition, is I want to encourage you to say, "Okay, I'm available. I want to. I want, I'm willing to pick up a stick." Okay? Uh, did you know this little admonition was going to come? Okay. So here, here's what I mean by this: on Sunday mornings. We just have little little areas, but important areas, whether it's greeting or hospitality or prepping some coffee or food, um, whether it's uh shining my shoes. No, just kidding. Stupid show. Okay, no, so it's so dumb. Okay, what where, where there's little help here or there? Okay, we would love we, we have enough people now in our church that we could just like assign you know, show up at 925, help me be in the prayer room with, with Brad, you know, just join us. Or something. So with ushering and things, we have enough people that we could plug people in like once every four weeks, but we're all picking up sticks. Are you with me on this, right? So, and let me just say it, some 10 months ago, there was a group of people there, the most beautiful people, faithful, just incredible, inspiring picking up sticks all over the place, but our church is growing. And so in the next like months, it's gonna wanna transition and we want to get as many people contributing because it's so important. We all contribute and serve. The Lord wants to use all of us. And if we all pick up a stick, there's gonna be a big fire here. I'm just telling you. All to his glory. Can I hear an amen to that? They say, what's the application? Give it to me. Afterwards, um, when we sign up for the uh, the women's uh, luncheon, Bobby's going to be in the back. And let me just say this: If we don't have your email, social security, and visa number—no, just kidding. Okay, <laughs> no, no, sorry. If we don't have your email, and I would love if—listen—if you have a smartphone and you text, I would, I would love it personally. Okay, that's one of the ways we communicate. Please just see Bobby afterwards, and sh- and, and and she'll just take your name email and it'd be great to have your phone number don't stress if you don't want to give that but that'd be great okay because we put you on this like mass text and that's how we communicate one of the ways we communicate okay um and then what we're going to do is we're just going to send out an email and we're going to start putting together little teams okay and and signing up doesn't like just look don't stress it because but what you're saying is i'm willing to pick up a stick okay i'm willing to pick a stick hey listen we're all grown-ups you recognize the importance of that. So see Bobby afterwards, I'll remind you. Look, number two, point number two, we gotta get through this. A follower of Jesus is gonna experience opposition. That's just a reality. I mean, look at, look at verse three. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, laid them on the fire, a viper came out. Because of the heat, fastened on his hand and when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live that's very important we understand their mindset we'll talk about it but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm look up here for a second look in the original greek when it says paul shook this off watch like he reaches down right he's picking up some sticks this viper comes out, the natives know it is. this is a very dangerous viper, there's dangerous vipers in the area, and they're expecting him to drop dead in a, in a matter of moments, right? So Paul, when this stinking snake is like hanging off his hand, which would to me be a nightmare, okay, and there it is, Paul doesn't, the original language doesn't give this face, he doesn't say, just get off me, bad boy, get off me, doesn't, you know, he doesn't, it's not like, just stop it, stop it, stop it, you know, or whatever. running around, no, or just, just, he doesn't give it just one little, Ugh. no, he's like, chu, chu, chu. he's like shaking this, thing. It, there is intentionality, there is effort, there is like, get off me, you know, just don't pump me with this venom, I don't want to be paralyzed, I mean, and he's like, throwing this thing left and right that's a beautiful picture because i gotta tell you we're all gonna get bit he said why was paul bit? hey man it's life it's life we're all gonna get bit we live in a broken world we're gonna be bit in a variety of ways is there spiritual realities behind the scenes i i think so for sure i mean i i, I don't speak for the devil i don't know all of his strategies but it seems to me the enemy would love to knock him out before he ever got to the most powerful man in the world at that time to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It tells us in principle that those who serve, hey, listen, those who pick up sticks, so to speak, really, those who say, look, I want you to make a difference in and through my life, are gonna experience opposition. I think of the Lord Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and in bit, so to speak. Elijah, threatened by Rahab. David, hunted by Saul. Nehemiah, slandered, threatened by Sambal and Tobiah. The question becomes, what do we do when we are bit? And let me just tell you, I got two views here. The the natives actually believe in a type of karma theology, actually. It's true. They're thinking, oh, the reason he's bit is because he's a bad guy. The reason he's bit is because of his past. And they probably recognize he's a prisoner. He's escaped the sea. But a guy who has his past, even though... He didn't break any laws, but in their mind, bad guy, bad things happen to bad people, and you're locked in. So you escape the sea, but ah, it just goes to show. You, once you get in that bad rut, once these things happen, once you have these disappointments or failures, or you didn't make the right decision, or so you think, once you get, you are locked in forever and inevitably fate will find you and it's fatal and it's going to knock you out and that is the thinking of the natives are you with me on that flat out that's how they're thinking listen that's not the gospel paul is paul believes whom the lord sets free is free indeed paul actually has the promises of god to him the lord had spoken to paul twice paul you're going to make it to rome i have a purpose for your life you know, I'm not done with you. He did on the boat and he did when he was in Jerusalem after he was almost killed and murdered there atop the temple mount. And so as a result, because he's a child of God, he knows there's a future. He's not gonna buy into, oh, you know what? I've blown it and I'm just dead, and bad things happen, and it just buries me, buries me, buries me, buries me, but he shakes it off. And in the name of Jesus, hey, if you're experiencing a bite right now of fear or opposition or disappointment, in Jesus' name, listen, in Jesus' name, shake it off. Are you willing to do that? Shake it off, and instead, apply the promises of God. We'll talk about this in some ways of how we can do it in just a moment. But look, look at verse six. They, they were expecting that he would swell up, and suddenly fall dead. But after that, they looked for a long time, saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said, oh my goodness, he was a God. Let me tell you what this speaks to us of. Never underestimate the redemptive value and power of actually suffering. That's true. Most people are suffering. Most people have been bit. Our lives can speak of the hope that is in the Lord to shake it off and to move forward in growth and new beginning. Hey, it's been said, lock him in a prison cell, beat him, shipwreck him, and you have the Apostle Paul. Deafen him and have a Ludwig van Beethoven. Raise him in abject poverty and you have an Abraham Lincoln. Call him a slow learner. Evil, even label him retarded Cast him off, right off, and you have an Albert Einstein. Subject him to torture in a Japanese prison camp for more than three years, and you have a Louis Zamperini. Don't underestimate. It's like you've been bitten, like we've all been bitten. Bites are bad, bites are bummers, but, but like the Apostle Paul, we need to learn to shake it off. That is the will of God for our lives. And it's like, okay, what does that look like? Here's the application. What is the Lord calling you to shake off? And what is he? I mean, Billy Graham tells that one of the greatest influences in his life was a woman. Other than his mother, it was Henrietta Mears that had the greatest influence in his life. And someone asked Henrietta Mears what she would do differently in her life. And she answered, believe God more. Hey, because he is good and nothing is too great for him. Look, there are bites in life. We've all been bit. Can I hear an amen to that? Right. Okay. Right? But look, if we don't shake it off, if we don't respond in the way God wants us to, and I'll get to like really specific application, applying his promises and stepping forward. Sometimes the bite is worse. I mean, excuse me, not shaking off is worse than the bite. Look, if you can grab your bulletin, it would be great. I don't totally expect it. I know uh, but in the bulletin, there are some phenomenal promises. And, and I would encourage you, you know, take it home or even now identify. Hey, is it discouragement? Do you feel like giving up? Look at the scripture. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Have you been bit by resentment? It's like, man, I can't forget. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Forgiveness is not emotionally based. Let it go. Okay. Now allow kindness and love to inform your life, not bitterness and hatred, which only pulls you down in worse and to worse realities. What about fear? He's like filled with, uh, with insecurity. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Look, the spirit of God. He's talking about his spirit. It's not a spirit that, per, that, that per gives us paralysis and minimizes our life. It gives us a sense of confidence that he's behind the scenes, he's working, he has his hand of provision and blessing in our life. Have you been bent by isolation or guilt or failure, stress or, or, or you know weary, opposite, weary opposite, uh, confusion, lack of faith, whatever it may be? Look, look at all these great promises and instructions. So church families shake it off and move forward. Can I hear a big amen to that? I think of just, let me just say this. Look, I, I think of another who picked up a stick and I mean the Lord Jesus himself. Now, that was the cross, of course. But he suffered. He suffered, but he overcame. You know, when he was on the cross, a centurion said, Surely this is the Son of God. He was watching the suffering. Don't just my point is, don't underestimate okay, for one, how the Lord can redeem the bite, not only in your own life, but how others are watching. They can see how evangelistic it actually can be by nature to encourage others. Because the reality is everybody's hurting in one way, shape, or form. You know, one day in Zechariah 12, it says, like when the Lord returns, they look upon him whom they pierced. And they mourn. This is talking about Jerusalem. It's talking about our Jewish friends in the future Israel, who's now recognizing they're repenting and changing. Jesus comes at the darkest hour in human history and brings shalom and righteousness. Remember, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells you. Do you believe it? Believe it. You're in the plan of God. You're on. You're on mission. There's going to be opposition, but we need to shake it off in the name of Jesus. Can I hear a big amen to that?